This episode of Poker Stories is brought to you by Best Bet Jacksonville, the largest poker room in the state of Florida with more than 60 poker tables and over 20 other table games. The popular card room is home to Best Bet Live, which streams cash game and tournament action on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook Live. Best Bet also has two other properties, one in Orange Park and a brand new facility that just opened in St. Augustine. This October and November, Best Bet Jacksonville will once again host the Card Player Poker Tour, which will feature a $3,000 buy-in main event starting November 11th. For more information, check out cardplayerpokertour.com or bestbetjacks.com, as well as bestbet underscore jacks on Twitter. Hi everyone, this is two-time World Poker Tour champion Jonathan Little, and I want to tell you about my training site, pokercoaching.com. Poker coaching is the place to be if you want to increase your poker skills and learn to crush the games. It's the only place to quickly increase your win rate with active learning so you can achieve your full poker potential without having to hire an expensive coach. Right now, podcast listeners can score a free membership by visiting pokercoaching.com slash card player and get access to top training tools like our interactive hand quizzes, our 7, 14, and 30-day challenges, and a roster of elite coaches such as Matt Affleck, James Romero, Burke Draftganger-Stevens, Michael Acevedo, and dozens of others. Again, that's pokercoaching.com slash cardplayer to get your free membership right now. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales, both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. This is episode number 142, featuring former Finnish poker pro Mika Antonen. Uh, Now, Mika is 35 years old, but he has been gambling since he was just 10. Growing up in Finland, he used to bet sports and handicap horses at the track, and as a teenager, he even developed what he admitted to be a bit of a slot machine addiction. It was rough for a while, and then Mika found poker while working in Australia. For almost a decade, Mika grinded at the tables, both online and live. He won millions and also got to see the world, traveling to 70 different countries. But then a few years ago, Mika made a bet that would see him forced to quit poker as his career. You'll hear all about that bet, as well as what he's up to these days, working in poker media as part of the team producing Last Call, a poker documentary series now on YouTube. Anyway, that's enough intro. Here is my conversation with Mika Antonin. I am here with the one and only Mika Antonin, a.k.a. Chuck Bass, a.k.a. Uh, one of the uh, Finnish superstars of poker. Let's, uh, in many ways these days, huh? So we'll talk about that in a second, but how are you doing? Good, thanks. Very good. I'm stationed here in beautiful Tallinn, actually. It's about seven degrees outside. Winter is coming, but... You so talking far, about Estonia? So yeah. Awesome. What, uh, what brought you over there? Uh, work, actually. The uh, Finnish legislation towards gambling changed like a few months ago, and 
Ever since then, it's been pretty difficult to do anything while being physically in Finland. But luckily, Estonia is only like a two-hour boat ride away. Awesome. Well, we will talk about uh, everywhere you've been in the world uh, <laughs> uh, soon, and especially now that you uh, have this project you're working on, which we'll get to um, uh, with Poker Poker Isabot. Did I say that right? Poker Isabot. Poker Isabot. So no, okay. Don't tell me that what it really translates to, but I looked it up on Google, and there were two options. It was uh, "poker is I'm sorry," <laughs> and also <laughs> uh, "poker father pages." <laughs> yeah, sorry to let you down. It's really <laughs> just "poker pages." Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I figured it was. <laughs> the, but uh, the I do like the way. other suggestions better. <laughs> I think I should propose a name change. So the project, of course, that I'm talking about is the new documentary series that you have on YouTube called Last Call. Um, so far, we've been following Dan Toponen, a Finnish rapper and also poker player, and you know, interviewing some of the top players in the world. What, what's your involvement in that project, and what's that been like? Yeah, I'm one of the uh, executive executive producers and the uh, head screenwriter in that um yeah it's been a really fun ride so far we've actually filmed three seasons of that already but we are just slowly dropping the episodes so the world has only seen six apps currently but there's many many more to come as well so looking forward to all the reactions yeah i was uh really loving it because the way i mean it's beautifully shot by the way you know, it's it from the first shot you could tell. Okay, this is not a typical poker documentary. Uh, you know, um, so and it, in many ways, it's almost kind of like a travel show slash <laughs> poker interview show because you're also seeing a lot of the uh, the places where these people come from. Whether it's you know Finland where you're from, or I think you guys went to Monaco, right, to interview the legend Patrick Antonius, yeah, uh, who's been on this show, and then. Um, Upcoming episodes, you'll be going to Chicago. Is that true? Yeah, that should be out. You know, well, probably around the same time with this interview. Actually, Almost all right, we'll look for that. that. I'm assuming that's for Steve Albini, a legendary music producer. Yeah, and Brandon Shakaris as well. All right, it's actually right. a du- double episode. We have one about like the friendship between those two guys, and then one about the uh, mixed game scene in Chicago, where we have I think eleven or twelve guests. So it should be fun. Right. I just finished watching the episode about all the PLO crushers and how uh, Finland has been dominating that game for a while. <laughs> okay. So I want everyone out there listening, go check it out on YouTube. Poker is a vote? Poker is a vote? Yeah, I guess the easiest way to find it would be <laughs> to just type like last call poker. Last call documentary. That's going to do it better than that. Uh, guys, check that out. It's great. Look, uh, looks great. We'll get more into that in a second. But I want to go back to the beginning, which is what we do in this show. We talk about origin stories, and your origin story goes back when to when you were a child, huh? You started gambling at ten. Yeah, pretty much. What are we talking about here? Like lunch money, Pokemon cards, what? Uh, okay, so I was born in 1986, so you know I was growing up in the mid 90s, which mm-hmm. was a great time to to grow up in. Um, back then, the uh, Finnish gambling legislation was pretty interesting. Like anyone could gamble on sports, and almost anyone could also like 
use slot machines because like you know if you go to vegas or whatever you only see slot machines at, at casinos but mm-hmm. in finland you see them in like every grocery store and train station and you know all kinds of places where no one really watches who's playing them so like i think they might have had some sort of like official age limit maybe it was like 15 or whatever but like no one was really like <laughs> making sure that the kids aren't playing right so, <laughs> So it was kind of like I, I got interested in sports betting and I think I sort of when I was like 11 or 12 and I think I was sort of approaching it like in a relatively healthy way. Like, you know, I was interested in odds and probabilities and stuff like that. I'm not trying to say that I was like a whiz kid and, you know, that I would have been able to beat sports betting at 11. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. like I, I was having some moderate success there. But then I also craved the uh, fast-paced action that the slot machines would give you. So basically, over and over, what would happen is that I would get, you know, large money or I'd have like a summer job or whatever. I'd get my paycheck. I'd find some sports bets, occasionally make some very good money. But then in the end, they would just end up in the slot machines anyway. So it was like, a, I would say, borderline gambling addiction or <laughs> I don't know. At, at 11 yeah <laughs> i um, mean we've had some some people on this show who started early uh dan zach was just on recently he started real young uh playing poker dan smith as well used to go to the track with his dad as a kid um you know what kind of sports were you betting on back then uh mostly like soccer and ice hockey which i like the big big games in finland and i did a lot of horse racing as well there was like a horse racing track maybe 15 miles from my house and we didn't have a car but they had horses like every wednesday so i would not tell my mom and just like secretly go there using like two different buses and trains and whatever to get there and just all kinds of degenerate stuff how did you handicap the horses (laughs) (laughs) i don't have like i really don't remember that well i i don't think i did very well either but (laughs) it was just the the most fun i i I could think of having at that time but uh yeah i think this is what what makes it kind of interesting poker wise though so during all these years i basically gambled almost every day for money between i don't know 11 to 17 but i don't think i ever really played like texas hold'em i I don't think i even knew knew the rules of texas hold'em or you know plo or any of the games i never came across online poker and then when I was 17, I got my first like sort of like real summer job. Uh, like I was making halfway reasonable money and I was just so tired of always losing everything on like slot machines or whatever. Like that had gone on for six years at that point. So when I finally got my first sort of like almost adult paycheck, I just had this weird feeling like I don't want to lose this money again. Like I actually worked hard for this. This isn't lunch money or whatever. It's like actually money I worked for. I I just need to quit gambling. But I felt like I couldn't just like semi-quit and do it occasionally. I just felt like I absolutely have to quit. Like cold turkey, no slot machines, and also no sports betting because that was like the gateway drug. And I, I actually managed to quit, I think, on the first try. And I was very happy about that and sort of proud of myself. But hilariously, I think the day when I quit was like 
almost exactly the same day when Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, the poker boom happened. So I, I didn't end up fi- finding, about, finding out about Texas Hold'em for another four and a half years, I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that maybe if I hadn't decided to quit gambling, I might have found out about online poker a little bit sooner. I might have been there yeah. for the crazy boom. I don't really regret this or anything, but I just think it's pretty funny. Well, I mean, you were, what, like 13 years old and, and winning big jackpots, or how was it? Yeah, the, I think the biggest win in today's money I had, I still remember this vividly. I was 14 years old, I believe, maybe 15, but no more. I won about like seven or $8,000 in like a weird soccer handicap handicap thing. And like the, the day after I went to school, because they actually, they, they allowed me to like cash out the insane amount of money, even though I, was, <laughs> I wasn't like, I, I could barely like reach the counter where they were piling up the money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so next day I went to school and, we had this little kiosk at school where people could, where the kids could buy, you know, like chocolate bars or candy or whatever. And I, I just bought all of it. <laughs> but just like, like we had euros at the time, I believe already. Maybe it was the previous currency we had in Finland. But I just stacked, stacked up like a pile of bills on the counter. I was like, give me everything. I'll take the whole store. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was my one teenage baller moment. But yeah, like in the big picture, I know I know I'm making it sound like it was a lot of fun, but like in hindsight, I really do wish I I hadn't discovered gambling at such a young age. I think it ruined quite a few few things about my teenage years. Oh, for so, sure, oh for sure. Like you know, it's 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 we could laugh about it now because you survived it, but I'm sure there's plenty of people who didn't, and for the, obviously for them, it's no laughing matter. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing, the, the story is that uh, you dropped out of high school, right? Yeah. So what went into that decision? Because it, it wasn't because of poker, right? No, it was. I, I would say that it, it was kind of because of the gambling. So this was pre-poker. But uh, like, I think by that time, I didn't realize it at the time. This is just in hindsight. But I think I was like borderline gambling addicted slash like semi-depressed maybe not depressed but like i just felt like life didn't really have much to offer me at the time everyone else was really like excited about going to high school and like you know what future would offer them and everyone had already decided what they would become when they grow up and all that and i just didn't really have any sort of like realistic dreams because my grades had already plummeted because of all the gambling i didn't really go to classes i was instead like betting on horses at like noon on a tuesday and stuff like that and uh yeah so i did i did try going to high school but i think it was my like second or third day at school i was just like yeah nah and nobody even noticed for many many months that i just simply never showed up I did. I've, I've talked to a few uh, players from the Nordic countries, and they did tell me that when you're a teenager, uh, whether it's you know Finland or Denmark or wherever, um, they do have you on like a sort of a track system, right? Where uh, you're kind of choosing your career as you go. 
I think I remember Martin yeah. Jacobson telling me that he had to choose to become a chef at like age 13 or something crazy like that. So I, I can imagine if you if you hit 18 and you don't have a lot of prospects, it's quite terrifying. Yeah, basically, I, I think it might have changed by now. I honestly don't have any idea, but like at least at the time, by 15, you had two options. You either went to high school or you went to, uh, I think, vocational school is the word, like mm -hmm. uh, become very become like a car mechanic or whatever. Yeah, well, you and, pick up a trade of some kind. Yeah, and I knew that I didn't want to go to a vocational school, but I was also really like turned off by the thought of going going to high school for another three years and then you know to uni after that for another four years and you know, like when you're in that like gambling loop where you spend hours every day just thinking about gambling and it sort of like takes over your your life or at least like your your mental energy it it and then someone tells you that hey just keep keep on going for seven more years and you'll have a degree <laughs> and <laughs> yeah it can be pretty overwhelming and i was and i was also keeping all of this a secret by the way like my parents didn't know basically almost anything about this either so they were just wondering like why is their kid so unmotivated and <laughs> like why why doesn't he want to have a future and i was just like I think everyone just thought that I was being lazy or whatever. Oh, sometimes yeah. it takes people a few years to figure things out. So you moved to Australia at 19, right? Yeah. So so basically what happened was, so I quit gambling. And almost instantly, I felt like my life was changing so much for the better. I did have like a proper cold turkey period where I think for the, next, for the first like two or three or four weeks, I was actually like dreaming of playing slot machines and stupid stuff like that but then pretty soon i i sort of felt myself like slipping into the real world i was i, I got a really really nice summer job i was making a bunch of new friends i even went back to high school after dropping out like two and a half years earlier and just you know everything started feeling a lot more hopeful i didn't really have any plans in the sense of like what I would want to be when I grow up, but I thought that I, I, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, I, I got my first year's girlfriend. We were together for like one and a half years. We had a pretty ugly breakup. And at that time, it was like November in Finland. So the sun barely rises at all. It's just like dark and cold and like the worst kind of place to be in in, in that month. So do not come to Finland in November. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I was I had a little bit of savings, and I was like, yeah, okay, what's like the fur furthest place from Finland where I could possibly go with nice nice weather and all? And I had a friend who happened to be in Australia at the time, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's where I'm going. And I ended up spending almost two years there. So that's where you discovered poker, right? Yeah. So. Eventually, I think I had been to Australia for about a year at this point, and I was all out of money, which was not due to gambling. I was still very much not gambling at all. And uh, Wait, was know, this when you were working? Sorry to interrupt. We have a question here. The worst job you ever had before poker. <laughs> and uh, is this where you worked on a farm? Yeah, I did like a bunch of like random farm jobs. I worked at like 
this weird cheese factory for a while. I worked at a mango farm, mm-hmm. like picking mangoes, where there were like lots of like massive spiders on the mangoes that were poisonous, and you had to like pick them up and throw oh, them man. away. I was uh, well, uh, what's the English word for like when you get the wool out of sheep, like? Oh, uh, uh, a shepherd? No, they don't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. But yeah, I was I was doing that, and that's also something I wouldn't suggest you do unless you know what you're doing, because the sheep like to bite quite a lot when <laughs> a, sh- a sheep shearer. A sheep uh, shearer. Yep, I did yeah, that as well. A sheep barber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then eventually I ended up at this uh, prawn farm. So basically, ten hours a day six days per week all there was to do was to peel fresh prawns and and that that was obviously quite shitty but it paid really well i think we made like 25 dollars an hour and this was like pre-inflation so like yeah paid very well and so my plan was that all right i'll do this for like a month or two just save a shitload of money and then i'll go and you know, do all the cool Australia tourist stuff that I couldn't afford before, like going to the Great Barrier Reef or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and it was yet at that farm in the middle of nowhere. This was in North Queensland, Australia, somewhere, basically in the middle of a rainforest. The nearest, like, tiny village would be, I don't know, 50 miles away. So we would work very long hours, six days a week, but then on that seventh day, the only thing to do in that village was to participate in this weekly poker game. And I didn't know the rules of Texas Hold'em. And for the first few weeks, I actually declined the invitations because I was so worried that, because I knew it was gambling. They were playing for like maybe $10 or $20 buying. <laughs> and, and I was so worried that, you know, if I, if I participate in this, maybe I'll just end up dusting my bankroll off at a roulette table or something. Because I hadn't gambled in, mm-hmm. I believe, about four years. But then eventually, it was just so boring there. <laughs> like there was nothing <laughs> it, it was like purely out of boredom. I was like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll just give it a shot. I didn't really know the rules. And as the story goes, they were playing these like sit-and-go type things. I think we might have had like 12 players at just one table. <laughs> so I was like, mm-hmm. 12 max full ring. <laughs> hold him, hold him, sit-and-goes. Obviously won the, the very first sit-and-go I ever played with some stupid beginner's luck and decided that I am a god's gift to poker. This is something <laughs> I should And I don't think it took me very many days at all to end up at the nearest casino. So and, how did that go? Uh, <laughs> oh, that did not go well. Okay, so this is a pretty funny story. Um, I think this was in Brisbane. I'm not really sure. It was somewhere in, in Queensland. I went to this casino. I had saved about, I say, I'd say maybe $5,000. And that was like a huge amount of money at the time. And That's a lot of prawns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I had all this money burning in my pocket and... I was staying uh, in this like backpacker hostel, so I couldn't leave the money at the hostel because someone would steal it. So I just like had to take all of this money with me when I went to the casino. I didn't have a, you know, I wasn't planning of gambling with my $5,000. I just didn't have anywhere to put it. And uh, they had the, 
they had like a bunch of fixed limit tables, which I couldn't play because my only Texas Hold'em experience was the sit and go. That was no limit. And then they had this really strange game that I have never seen ever once in my life after that, which was like half pot limit Hold'em. Like, I, I'd be curious to know if someone someone plays that somewhere. But yeah, you could only play, uh, you could only bet half the pot, both pre and post. Mm, okay. Uh, and, and it was twenty five fifty with you know, so that's where I started my cash game, cash game career. Cash wait, game wait, not twenty five fifty cent. You're talking about twenty five dollars. Yeah, and uh, and and like you know, I had never been <laughs> to a casino before that. Actually, now that I think of it, I, I actually, I, I don't think I've ever even realized that, but that might have been my actual first time ever at a casino. So I had like no idea how exchanging chips and all that worked. Worked and you know I, I just gave my five thousand dollars to the to the floor and I was like yeah I'd like to play in this game and and I sat down and I thought that okay you know if I lose a little bit I can just cash out and leave like I'm not gonna actually lose my five thousand dollars and then I you know I was bleeding little by little I lost like small pot after small pot because I had no idea what I was doing at all and I was also very scared of money because you know. Every pot was like eight hundred dollars, and I was like, "Shit, I'm I'm in too deep." But I was so, like, too scared, uh, not too scared, but uh, too embarrassed to leave the game so quickly. And then uh, I had a king flopped, king something something on a three flush board. I had no flush throw, and somehow the money ended up going in. Other guy had a made flush. I had zero outs. <laughs> I lost every cent I had to my name, and all of a sudden I was like, "Shit, what am I gonna eat tomorrow? I don't have any money at all." And oh my god! Accent to poker, <laughs> and yet you still <laughs> stayed in poker. Yeah. Um. So okay, you didn't have a cent to your name. Is this when you had to sleep on a park bench? Yeah. the ne- The next few months after after that was like I I believe I got some random job from Brisbane almost instantly. Because I really needed the money. I think I borrowed like $200 from a friend or whatever just to stay alive. Got a job, but I, I was also really, like, like I really wanted to make a comeback at poker. I, I remember reading like those David Sklansky fixed limit books because I figured that, okay, I, it's probably a good idea to start from the fixed limit tables whenever I make my comeback. So I was working some random job at the Brisbane airport, I think. And then all my time of work, I was either studying poker or playing like the super small stakes fixed limit game. But uh, it was just not really sustainable because like the games were raked very high. It wasn't like any sort of meaningful source of income in the long term. But obviously after maybe my first or second winning session, I was like, yeah, okay, I can support myself now. I'm just gonna quit my job. So that's how I became a so-called poker professional. And unfortunately, my, my math on this wasn't like really well thought out. I don't think it took many weeks at all until I have to, had to sleep on a park bench and also an abandoned house for one night because I didn't have a place to stay and again had no money. So, you know, it was a bit of a rough <laughs> first few months. I mean, you were literally homeless. Because yeah. Of, I mean... <laughs> What does that feel like? You don't want to call your your folks back home and maybe uh, uh, get get a lifeline? 
Yeah, I mean, it felt very liberating. I, I had always craved freedom. Like the the main reason why I always hated school was because, like, you know, someone else was telling me what to do. But you know, I was living my adult life fifteen thousand kilometers from home, and you know, just sitting on a park, sleeping on a park bench, looking at stars at night. It was kind of like a weirdly, I don't want to say romantic thing, but uh, I'm struggling to find the right word. But uh, I do have to say that I have very loving parents, and I always knew that you know I could just call them and ask them to buy me a flight ticket home and borrow me some money. So this wasn't, you know, like a mega heroic story where I never had any kind of chance of escape. But uh, yeah, still, I, I think there was a slightly wilder beginning to my future profession than with quite a few other players. So I'm, I'm assuming you get a stake and start running it up at that point? Um. No, I, I think what happened was that I I went back to working some odd jobs and, you know, playing poker in my free time and studying and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the end result was always the same. Like I would run it up a little bit and then <laughs> quit my job after two weeks again. And then after another two weeks, I would realize that, oops, I have no money. And then eventually, I think it was actually Australia that kicked me out because I had been there for like the maximum amount of time you can be there with a, like, a working holiday visa. And I also had to call my mom and tell her that, by the way, I cannot afford a plane ticket back home because you please buy me one. And I'm not from a rich family. My my mom was a nurse. She just retired. So th- this wasn't met with a lot of excitement, but she did buy me one. Yeah. I went, and, uh, yeah, I, I went back to Finland, uh, back to my childhood home, at, by that time, I was 21 years old. It felt a little bit humiliating. Like in Finland, everyone moves out as soon as they turn 18. I know it's not the same in, in the States, I don't think. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But anyway. Well, it's so becoming I, less and less the case in the States, that's for sure. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, people are starting to stay home a little longer these days with the inflation being what it is. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And, and also, Americans tend to live in larger houses as well. In Finland, everyone lives in a small shoebox. So yeah, I had to move into my old childhood bedroom that still had like all the Spice Girls posters from the 90s. And <laughs> <laughs> You're into the Spice Girls, huh? Yeah, yeah, that was the first band I ever saw live was the Spice Girls. Really? Who was your, who was your Spice Girl of choice? Uh, Gary, for sure. Oh, okay. Miss Halliwell? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, all right. Where did uh, Chuck Bass come from? Okay, so there's this masterpiece of a teenage TV show called Gossip Girl, and they have a <laughs> <laughs> and, and they they have a character called Chuck Bassett there. Uh, I think it's actually like Chuck Bass, like you know, after the fish and not the bass guitar. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I, I wish there was like a more exciting background story to this, but there just isn't. I just like chose it on a whim. But That's I, funny. I ac- I accidentally watched way too much of Gossip Girl. Um, and I mean accidentally, for real. Uh, my friend had told me, there's this show, you got to watch it, it's amazing, Kristen Bell's in it. 
right? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I was she's thinking, the narrator, right? I she's the narrator, right? I, I I watched this show. I think two seasons of it. Going, where's Kristen Bell? And it turns out that <laughs> she was talking about Veronica Mars. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, I I wish I had those hours back for sure. <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, when did the when did the spin up happen? Because uh, I read that you you took a hundred bucks and turned it into six figures. Yeah. Um, okay. So. I moved back to Finland, was penniless, had to get a job, obviously. I wanted to move out of my childhood bedroom as soon as I could. And, you know, I, I, I think I was, like, still hoping that I would become a poker professional someday. But I also had, like, an ounce of realism in my veins by that time. I knew that I would have to actually support myself by doing something other than poker, at least, at the beginning. But the thing is that... By this time, I was already 21 years old, I had almost never played online poker. I think I played it a few times in in Australia, but, you know, I had never really given it a proper shot. And so I think, if I remember correctly, I I had maybe like $20 or euros that I, I, I was able to deposit from my first paycheck. Like, it, it was very, very tiny stakes, and I grinded up from there playing super tight stakes, sit and goes, and I think I turned that 20 bucks to like 17,000 or something. Wow. Uh, like like following actual bankroll management, but this was still like, it wasn't maybe during the poker boom anymore, but it was sort of like the, the after boom, because the, the boom that you guys had in the States in 2006 or whatever it it only came to europe a few years later so i was actually very much at the right place at the right time it was very very easy all the little sites were competing against each other giving massive massive rake back deals i think i had like over 100 percent rake back for a while (laughs) (laughs) because you could like combine a few different promotions yeah So, so they were like paying you money to play and yeah i so i i I managed to build a bankroll and not because I would have been like shockingly good or anything, just more like it was very easy back then. Um, I went to Vegas after about six, six months of that. I think I had about $20,000 when I left for Vegas and I had $0 when I came back home. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was stung, but like in hindsight, that was, uh, I, I don't think that was ever, there was ever any other scenario than exactly that <laughs> like I, I don't know how i could possibly have returned from vegas with any money to my name i just didn't you, you're either that. gonna have all the money or well, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah but then i grinded it up back again it was just very very easy at, at the time i think i uh, at, at some point i was so broke that i couldn't make any sort of deposit but I had a bunch of empty bottles at home. In Finland, we have a system where you get like 20 cents 20 cent for like each empty Diet Coke bottle you bring back to the store. So I had maybe like four euros worth of those bottles. And I can't remember how the story went. Like, I think I maybe gave my friend four euros and he sent me like four euros on poker stars or something like that. And I spun it up again. But uh, yeah, four dollars. Well, four yeah, euros. It was, it was something crazy. like that. But uh, yeah, I, I had like a couple of years of of that where I would spin it up from very little to like 
low five figures and then I would always find a way to go broke. And I didn't really, I, I wouldn't describe any part of that as professional in hindsight. I was calling myself a poker professional and it is true that I didn't have any jobs or anything. All my income was coming from poker, but it was just like a shit show. But then in 2010, I believe, when I was 23, I discovered multi-table tournaments. It, it, I'm not really sure why I hadn't really given them any thought previously, but like I, I randomly played a few and I just instantly felt like, okay, this is what I should be doing. And I'd say that's when my actual poker career sort of started. And that's when I started having like really good and long-term success. Yeah, uh, a lot of success online. You also got jumped on the live circuit. What was your experience like there? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing live. And it took me a very long time to realize that I don't think I'm very good at live poker at all. <laughs> I, I know a, a very smart person who always used to tell me that live poker is the tax of online poker. So you win $10,000 a month playing online and then you dump $5,000 a month playing live poker. And I was always like, no, 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 I, I have an edge. I have a huge edge. Like these fields are so soft. Like look at this guy punting away 2,000 big blinds in the first hand or whatever. But like, I, I think my, my edge was honestly pretty small in hindsight. I think I was doing so much better playing online. I was always a, like a very strong multi-tabler. If you watch the last call season two first episode uh, about uh, Alice EE27 and his multi-tabling adventures, we were actually roommates back in the day, and like he taught me how to play 30 tables at once. And uh, like uh, I was doing, having like an insane hourly rate playing 20 to 30 tournaments at a time. I had like a very good, good setup and system for that. But then for some reason, I wanted to chase the live tournament glory. And that was a very expensive adventure for me for many years. It's interesting that there's there's not a ton of players really who excel, excel at both. I mean, Fedor obviously uh, was able to do it. And, you know, this is a few high rollers. Mike Watson comes to mind. Um, Chris Mormon has suddenly become a live player these days. Um you know, but yeah, there is, it's, it's almost like two entirely two different games, right? Like, obviously the core skill set is needed for both, but there's that little extra that comes with live play, exploit, exploiting people. I don't know, even maybe live reads that there's some people who don't even believe that, you know, live reads are a thing. Yeah. And for me, like, I think that the biggest thing has always been that I have a, like a small amount of social anxiety this isn't something you'd ever really notice if you're if you're like with me at a bar or whatever but like i'm pretty introverted and i i feel a little bit anxious around new people and so you know sitting down at a live poker table is just not like a very comfortable setting for me so i was never really able to get into like a proper comfort zone and like uh, this might be like almost the only casino in the world where i have pretty good results is the one in Helsinki and that's the casino that actually has like very close to the toughest games in the world for those buy-ins I mean all the all the Finnish end bosses <laughs> used to play there but because it I, I was always comfortable there because I lived like 
one one mile from the casino. It was like walking distance. So and it, I al- always felt like I was sort of almost in my living room. But then whenever I would travel abroad, you know, people would be speaking in a language that I wouldn't necessarily totally understand. And I, I just never really managed to get into that comfort zone when I was playing, as opposed to, you know, when I was grinding online poker, multi-tabling in my underwear at home. It was like I was a fish in the water. Was there a highlight of your uh, live tournament career that you look back on? Uh, well, I mean, I, I did win the biggest annual tournament that we have in Finland. That was for about $100,000, I think. So it's not like massive, but it, it was quite nice. It, oh, yeah, like, I get to win in, in front of your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did have a, have this stupid bet with a friend we had made earlier that whichever of us would get a six-figure score first in U.S. dollars would have to give like a pretty big percentage to the other one. I can't remember what it was. I think maybe 20%. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and the cash was for like $100,017 or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's when you're rooting for a 99K score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. And then it... It took him maybe like two months to win the uh, F-Tops main for a lot more. And I would have had a share of that, but because it was like a one-way bet. So whoever catches first, the other guy gets a chunk of that, but then that's the end of it. So, you oh, know, if, man. so wait, you would have won more by losing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think because I wanted to torture myself, I wanted to look at like the historical, like the US dollar value. And I think like two days before the tournament, the score would have been for less than 100K. It just happened to peak a tiny bit on that day. Oh, the conversion rates <laughs> messed you up that day. Oh, brutal. That's what it is. Uh, can you tell the Vegas strip club story? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> I heard about you getting a gun pulled on you, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so honestly, I'm not a big strip club guy. I'm not saying that. None of us are. None of us are. I might be listening. We go (laughs) into them accidentally, guys. We were looking for the (laughs) library. (laughs) No, it was like, uh, yeah, this was my first time in Vegas. I, I met this Finnish dude. There we became fast friends and gambled together at tables and decided to go to, to a strip club for no particular reason and there was some weird altercation like the whole club was empty there were like maybe four four people inside and we sat down at an empty table and ordered drinks and then some wannabe gangster dude comes and he's like hey this is my table you can't sit there and it was just like a very random table so he was obviously just looking for trouble and we had had quite a few drinks and decided that it's a matter of principle. We are not going to give up this table. Um, in the end, I think sometime later I was in a toilet trying to take a leak and this guy ends up there and flashes his handgun and can't really remember. I was quite drunk, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I punched him real fast and then we just ran out of there and didn't get shot. I must say that at the time I did not fully realize how likely it is to get shot in the U.S. because <laughs> in, in Finland people don't get shot. A few a few years ago, the the Finnish police force they they published their their data, and the entire Finnish police department they had fired six 
shots during the entire year and five of them were warning shots but so you know this was like the the kind of background where i was coming from i i fully thought oh man if, if, we, uh, <laughs> we could only pray for those numbers you know <laughs> what i mean like that that would be the dream here in the states but it's not gonna happen we we are yes. a shoot first ask ask questions later society unfortunately yeah, I've come to realize this later, but man, I was so naive when I when I first visited the states. Well, what about your trip to Mexico? Was that a, a poker game that got robbed? Ah, uh, which trip to Mexico? I have a I have quite <laughs> quite a few few Mexico stories. I used to live there for about a year with some poker grinders. This was when I was already playing pretty high stakes, and some interesting stuff went down. Um, yeah, I did get robbed once at gunpoint. It was like in a public bus. <laughs> this is another thing, like, you know, at least in here, when you get on a public bus at like noon on a Tuesday, the chances of you getting robbed are like zero. <laughs> but <laughs> this didn't turn out to be true in Mexico City, unfortunately. But it, it wasn't for a lot of money, and uh, I don't really remember it that well. Oh, uh, good. You didn't have your entire bankroll on you at the time. No, luckily not. Okay. Uh, So, yeah. So, you know, you lived a little little bit of everywhere at this point um, uh, for poker. What was your favorite spot? Well, Australia will always have a soft spot in my heart. And I keep going back there. I think I've been there five or six times by now. Before the pandemic, I spent five months there. And, like, I might go back this winter actually it's just a super beautiful country and to me it feels like uh th- this isn't exactly the word that i'm looking for but it's kind of almost like a spiritual place in the sense that everyone's so in touch with nature and i don't know my mind is always at ease in australia but aside from that i i really enjoyed living in vancouver i think that's an insanely beautiful awesome city now you've been playing poker for years and you noticed, you know, maybe the win rate's not as good as it used to be, uh, or maybe it's just like, you know, breaking even at one point. How did this bet come about that forced you out of poker? <laughs> All right, so <laughs> th- th- this is a slightly less dramatic story than the poker media made it out to be. Although, okay. Although, although that was intentional on my part, I guess. So basically what happened was that I had a I had a pretty successful career playing mid to high stakes tournaments. If people want to hear numbers, I think I made about $550,000 pure profit online in the span of 7 or 8 years. So, you know, that's not like a massive amount of money, especially when you include like the poker lifestyle and all the stupid shit that I spent money on, all the traveling and yada 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 so it's not like i i had five hundred thousand dollars when i quit poker but anyway so i had a pretty good career but then like like you said the games were getting tougher solvers came around and it didn't really feel like my thing i'm definitely more of like an intuitive thinker i was i was doing pretty well in an era when we didn't have all the answers and um yeah and at the same time i was approaching 30 and I just sort of felt like I wanted to do something else with my life. Poker is such a 
hedonistic job like you're you're competing even against your friends i do admire how people have this like poker camaraderie and i did have that to some extent with a few good friends as well but still at the same time i just felt like you know i was i was trying to win people's money at a card game and that was my only contribution to the world so i sort of wanted to get out and at the same time the the profits were diminishing and it seemed like i have basically two options either i would start like a super hardcore solver study camp or i would do something else and and i i had a really hard time quitting like in hindsight i was being a total coward it took me over two years of like barely making ends meet i think like almost every single month i would win exactly the same amount as my living expenses it was like blatantly obvious that poker wasn't really going anywhere for me anymore and i was getting older and older and i just like didn't have the courage to pull the plug and then like like almost after every single session regardless of if i had won or lost i like the first thought in my mind was like i should be doing something else but i just didn't have the courage and then so i, I decided to resort to the cold turkey approach again so but i at the same time i sort of I, I know that this sounds incredibly naive and stupid, but I sort of felt like, you know, I might just need some guidance from the universe. So let's end this on a coin flip. So I came up with this, <laughs> I came up with this like concept of, um, I, I can't remember what it was anymore. I, I want to say it was like, if I could turn 500 into 10K within some relatively short amount of time, maybe one month or whatever it was by playing like, five to ten euro dollar tournament something like that and in my mind i thought it's like a pretty close to an honest coin flip so i would i would try my best i booked some side action so i had a lot of motivation but you know i thought it was 50 50 i was like okay if i happen to win this challenge i'm going to have quite a lot of money and and maybe it's a sign from the universe that i should continue and if i lose this challenge then I'm going to have to exit the poker world for good because that was the bet. So I was betting my exit from the poker world against people's money, basically. And uh, yeah, I got pretty close. I, I think the goal was 10K. I'm not entirely sure what the starting bankroll was, but I think it was 500. I think I got to about 8K, but just couldn't get there. Took a real life job, I think, two days afterwards, and that was it. Man. That's and then you're out and then you're out, huh? Yeah. And yeah. But then you got I to mean, focus on your love of writing, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I I took a job at writing like almost immediately afterwards. My plan was to take a very long holiday and ponder my options. I was thinking about going going to university. Actually, I I was still like you know relatively young. I was uh, I think 31 or 32 at the time. So, you know, I, I was actually pretty excited about all the possibilities that I had in front of me. And the only thing I had decided was that whatever I do, I won't go back to, like, I won't do anything poker related. I won't do anything gambling relate, related. Any other job is fair game, but nothing related to gambling. And then, of course, you know how, to, <laughs> how that <laughs> went. In the end. But, yeah, yeah. I, 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 got a, I actually got quite a few job offers. It turned out that... A few uh, poker media companies 
both domestic and international have somehow been following the the challenge and i had been a somewhat prophetic twitch streamer like this was before twitch became as big as it is now and there was less competition but anyway i had i had, had these blogs that had like the millions of reads and so basically i think quite a few companies approached me with the idea that hey let's post this guy and have him create content for us now that he's broken and needs, needs a job <laughs> and, and the uh, one of those offers was like very lucrative and it seemed like a very good idea to just like grab it and maybe i think my plan was to do it for like six months or whatever you know just sort of have it as an in-between thing before i would graduate to something else but then i just never managed to leave the industry so that's that's basically what i've been doing for the last four and a half years I believe. yeah now you're on our side the media side of things huh yeah it feels good, good to, to not have to sweat the river anymore right <laughs> yeah yeah it really does and I mean, I, I, people ask me quite often, like, like, do I not regret have, leaving poker? Like, do I not feel the itch to come back? And, like, my honest answer is no, I have never felt that itch again. I just think I got it out of my system, and ever since then I've been sleeping so much better. <laughs> I Like, my entire mental health feels so much better. Like, every single day I feel like, the world is my oyster as opposed to you know during the poker times you would just think about poker hands over and over and over and like see nightmares about bad river cards and it, it was my whole world back then and it was a great time but i'm just so happy that it's not the case anymore yeah there seems to be a growing camp in the poker world these days that acknowledges that the game is best played between friends for fun for stakes that won't kill anybody you know what i mean and that you save you save the pro stuff for the high rollers those guys who are who are built to take that kind of you know that risk but for the rest of us for 98 percent of us you know it, it could just be the kitchen table game that got us started in the first place yeah i guess like what i think has always been a bit of an underrated option though is sort of having it as a side job mm. i because poker always has that threshold of like a certain buying level that's still soft. I, I would imagine that currently it's probably like $20 MTTs online are like the highest soft buying. I, I don't really have any data on this as I haven't played in four years, but that's what I would imagine. So anyway, you can still you can make a pretty decent amount of money and it saves you from all the like the mental anguish if you're making a living if you earn a wage doing something else you don't have to worry about paying your rent and whatever so that whatever you win at poker is you know bonus money and I, and I think that's a nice way to have a have an enjoyable hobby and also make possibly pretty decent money yeah for sure uh we have some rapid fire questions here to close it out if you're ready definitely uh i saw you this summer at the series in the media event and you got to to hang out with Vince Vaughn for a little bit. What was that like? Yeah, that was fun. Um, so we sat down at the media event with my friend Matti, who was actually the director of Last Call. So he's the guy responsible for 
the fact that it looks gorgeous. I have nothing to do with <laughs> the, the beauty of the show, unfortunately. Anyway, so we sat down. The, there were like three seats left. We sat down so so that there was one seat between us, and that was like the last empty seat. And then we saw Vince Vaughn walk up in there, and we were like, hmm, there are like no seats anywhere else. I wonder where he's sitting down. And <laughs> yeah, he sat down, and he was sandwiched between us for a good, I think, like at least an hour, I would say. I, cool. I did get to try try busting him. Didn't work out, but it was fun. He was a pretty chill dude. He he's I don't want to misquote him, but if I remember correctly, I think he said that he used to play a lot of PLO in Minnesota when he was growing up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would not have guessed guessed that out of Vince Vaughn. Uh, yeah. Master of Ceremonies for the World Series of Poker, Vince Vaughn these days. Yeah. Um, Biggest pot you ever won or lost? Your choice. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, the biggest pot you ever lost was that five k <laughs> when it was when it was your entire net worth. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, I guess the the sexy answer to that would be the whole my entire net worth multiple times in in terms of numbers. Like, I was never much of a cash gamer, but I have lost like twenty k pots a few times. I think. Um, I can't remember winning one. <laughs> what about the best shot you ever took? Best shot? That, hmm. uh, that, that's a good question. I just don't know if I've ever had really successful shots because all I remember is that every single time when I would like, try to like take, take a stab at high stakes, I, it just wouldn't work out. <laughs> Well, I guess I'm, you could say that first move to Australia, right? Because at least you, you found the love for the country. Yeah, I mean, outside of poker, I think almost every single shot that I've ever taken has has worked out really well. And it's almost like a philosophical choice for me nowadays that if I feel like there's a shot I need to take, I just always take it. But in poker, this is necessarily isn't such a great idea. I have... Definitely harbor thoughts about, you know, playing in the full tilt 200, 400 or whatever in my time, but never really got there. Uh, some expensive thoughts. Oh, for sure. Uh, you are obviously a gifted writer. Do you have any other artistic talents? Ah, oh, that's a good one. I mean, I'm a pretty creative person in general but in terms of like pure talent i guess writing would still be my only one my girlfriend is a super talent talented artist like she can draw insanely beautiful pictures in like 10 minutes but and she always laughs at whatever i try to do because <laughs> like a seven year old drawing so yeah i guess i'm just gonna gonna stick to writing for now yeah my art never got past eight years old either um <laughs> What about uh, the weirdest place you've ever played poker or gambled uh, for money? Oh, that's a good one. I was just—I was actually just thinking about this the other day because we were—we uh, are currently planning last call season four, and one of the ideas we have on the drawing board is exactly that. We were thinking about doing an episode or two about like the weirdest place in the world that we can find where they have poker. <laughs> <laughs> I think like. If you can find the right spots, that would be pretty pretty funny. But uh, let's see. I I played in South Korea. That was 
pretty interesting. I think I was the, literally the only non-Asian person at that whole casino, and there was quite a language barrier. Um, I mean, you—you you sounds like you've been all over the world. Is there any place left on your bucket list that you'd like to visit? Yeah, man, I was just counting. I think I've been to around 70 countries. 70? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and probably around... 40 of them have been because of poker, like purely live tournaments. Uh, it, it, it sounds like more than it is because, you know, here in Europe, we have 40 countries that are all next to each other. So on one trip, you might go to seven, seven countries. So it, it's not actually that difficult to collect those countries. But yeah, I mean, man, I just want to go everywhere. For example, I've only been to New Zealand for about three days when I went there to renew my Australian visa. And I only had like... $18 when I got there, so I didn't get to do anything at all. I was sitting in a shitty hostel, eating a shitty subway sub, <laughs> waiting to get the email from the Australian Immigration Services that would welcome me back, welcome me back to the country. So, you know, that's one. I want to go to all the Pacific Ocean Islands. Pretty much want to go everywhere. Like, I, I can't think of almost any country that I wouldn't want to go to, apart from the couple of obvious ones, I guess. The ones currently in wars. Um, if you could download one skill instantly, like in the Matrix, what would you choose? Ooh, man, you have some good questions. I, <laughs> I wish I had good answers. Is there something you're, you're just really bad at that you just would love to have as a skill? I mean, I'm pretty bad at almost everything. Like, <laughs> I... I, I'll come, uh, I think usually people have like maybe two or three or four things that they are very good at and they suck at everything else. That's definitely true for me, but it's just a matter of capitalizing on those those few skills that you have. In terms of the question, I mean, I guess it, it would probably be something music related. I, I really wish that I had any sort of talent in music at all. That would be really kick-ass, but I just completely suck i don't have the ear or the physical skills to that at all but i'd love to be able to to do something in that scene man that'd be so cool to just download all of hendrix's skills in like a yeah minute. exactly yeah. <laughs> okay that that's my decision <laughs> did you have any nicknames growing up other than uh, chuck bass <laughs> <laughs> no not really like my name is a weird one because it has like the double vowel and the double k so it's a Bit of a hard one to turn into a nickname. Mika. Is that Mika. basically that's basically Mike, right? Michael? Yeah, it's, it's that like what it a, translates to? Kinda, of, but we have we also have like Micah, like one I one K, and then oh. Mika, which is a double I and one K, and I just have like the super long version. <laughs> you have all of them. Give me give give me all the doubles. Alright, did you have a celebrity crush when you were growing up? Apart from Ginger Spice, I would say maybe, <laughs> well, Rachel from Friends. So Jennifer Aniston in that 90s glory probably was the number one in my teenage right. years. Uh, headphones on at the table, yes or no? Um, I actually, like when I played, I used to always use headphones. But I think now that I occasionally play the random live tournament like once a year like i play one wsop event or whatever i actually choose not to use headphones and try to socialize with people and i kind of regret that i wish wish i had done that more in my actual pro years but 
always wanted to sort of tune off the outside world. Uh, do you have uh, a favorite musical artist? A favorite musical artist? Um, I was a massive Radiohead fan when I was growing up. Uh, OK Computer came out when I was mm. 11, and I just played that record nonstop for like two years, refused to listen to anything else. <laughs> yeah. um, Their fans are still playing that record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a great record, but I, I think I've now heard it a little few too many times I, I just can't listen to it anymore <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know um I, I don't really have anyone who i you know like worship as my you know the favorite musical artist of all time i guess i'll answer steve albini because he was such a super cool dude we uh when we were filming the upcoming last call episode i think we said that we would come over to his studio for like two hours or something and i think we spent like four days in there and he was like incredibly accommodating wow that's awesome i i had a lot of time i had steve on this show uh well actually brandon brought him to our old card player studio for the for the recording um ironically enough uh but yeah super nice guy obviously you know of nirvana fame uh you guys should definitely check that out last call next episode should be out now if you're listening to this probably um are you superstitious at all? I definitely am a little bit. I'm not proud of this because <laughs> you know, <laughs> as a poker player, you're really not supposed to be. But yeah, like for example, that I can't remember who it was, but like some dude who had won an, like an EPT or a WSOP very early on in my career told me that it's like a rule that if you bag a chip lead in a live tournament, you cannot change your underwear. And like he wasn't joking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I think I, I once played like four days in the same underwear because of this. Like, yeah. it, so, worked. it worked if you were that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you were there for four days. It must have been, it must have been lucky. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say I'm like six out of ten superstitious. So, you know, I don't have any crazy rituals or anything. But I, I really do wish that I... I, I could say I'm zero out of ten, but unfortunately not. <laughs> what about any phobias? Uh, like closed, tight spaces. Really, like I, I would go nuts if I had to go to jail. Luckily, that hasn't happened <laughs> so far. Haven't committed any crimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, our next from... question was to admit to all your crimes. <laughs> so it, it could happen. Better, well, better. Uh, I, I did wake up from a jail once, but that was because I passed out on a street in the middle of the winter and it was so cold that the policeman had to pick me up. I think I actually got like, um, what do you call it, like day trip drugged. Like, oh, someone, okay. like, like, like someone was trying to spike someone else's drink, probably my girlfriend at the time, and I, I somehow drank from her glass and next thing I know I was just lying in the middle of the city completely unconscious and in snow well that and, uh, sounds like a, a a friendly police officer then who locked you up for the night <laughs> yeah yeah it, it wasn't the nicest wake up though because like i had no recollection of anything and so so i, I didn't know what i had done obviously my first thought <laughs> was like oh like, shit oh. i must have like done something really bad <laughs> and I, like oh you're just asleep <laughs> 
Yeah, that's what a relief. What a relief to know to learn that you were drugged and not that you didn't kill a guy or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and but like that also took a few hours. So so I woke up in this cell where I was alone, and they had this little like phone like where you could like press the button and talk to the officers. So I would get up and and ask them like like why am I here? What have I done? And apparently they wanted to have some fun on the expense of the drunk idiot. I don't think they realized that I you know probably my drink had been spiked. So they actually refused to tell me. They were just like you'll have a lot of time to think about what you've done. No! You know, they, <laughs> like, they, they wanted to teach me a lesson, and I think that went on for quite a few hours. Oh, brutal. What torture. That's crazy. Okay, do you collect anything? Um, yeah, two things. So I used to always collect poker chips from every casino where I played. I guess that's a pretty common one, but it's I actually went through them today, and, yeah, it's a... It's a very huge jar full of casino chips from all kinds of weird places. It's very fun to go over. And similarly, I usually buy a fridge magnet from every country that I go to. And I do get quite a lot of compliments about the way my fridge looks. It's quite <laughs> lively. Yeah, I mean, with all those, would you say 70 countries or something crazy like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of magnets. Um, what about the longest poker session you ever played? Uh, it would definitely be more than 24 hours. Like, I've had a lot of those. I would guess probably like 36, like that ballpark. Maybe yeah. a little less. I don't know. But I, I always played very long sessions, especially in like those years when you could get like very high rake back. There was always like a rake race or something going on that just so you just had to play a lot. And I sort of always enjoyed the degeneracy of that uh what's your biggest pet peeve or what was your biggest pet peeve at the poker table huh no i don't know if i have like a really good answer i obviously always hate it like people celebrating and especially in certain southern european countries they, <laughs> <laughs> they tend to celebrate pretty, pretty loudly oh uh, man that, that reminds me of so many times I was covering the EPT and the, the, you're right because the Finnish are not very emotional. <laughs> They're no. not, they don't react to, to winning a big pot or anything, but you know, some other countries they'll jump over a rail to high five their friend, the friends and, uh, you know, jump on a chair and yeah, it's, it's, it was very fun covering the EPT and seeing the very different reactions from everybody. Yeah, I mean now as a spectator, as as a spectator, I enjoy it. I'm I'm happy that people are showing emotion. I don't mind it at all. I think it's actually good for the game that it's not just, you know, robotic players staring yeah. blankly. But it, it really does suck when someone outdraws on you and is <laughs> sitting next to you and starts like dancing on the chair and <laughs> all that. I, I yeah. do have a pretty pretty funny quick st story about this. I especially I. Whenever I played in France, which happened a lot, for some reason I always found myself in France. I must have played like dozens and dozens of live tournaments there, and I always felt like that was the one country where like the the odds were really stacked against me. I, I don't like mean to say that there was like a collusion or anything, but it was just like it was such like 
them versus you type of situation like especially because i played a bunch of like smaller tournaments i would often travel to like a 2k french countryside casino tournament somewhere but i'd be the only foreigner and it felt mm. like every single time i took some like really nasty bad beat and like everyone was just celebrating because i was passed <laughs> out and they were like yeah we got them so <laughs> so then eventually um I played in the uh, Part 2 Poker Tour main event, which was a very big tournament in Europe in the uh, around 2010. It was like uh, almost a 10k buy-in. And I, I wasn't playing well at all. I was having a completely disaster of a day. It was basically like the softest tournament of the year, I would say, at those stakes. Probably even softer than the WSOP main event. I had been looking forward to that for many months. It was in Cannes in this like beautiful beach setting like this. It was in a tent so that there was a lot of fresh air and all that. It was like a super enjoyable place to play it. But for some reason, I was just like butchering every hand and playing horribly. And <laughs> then I got it all in with mid set against top set. So from the turn. So I was trying to one out <laughs> <laughs> and I actually binked that one out. And it was like this French dude who had like celebrated against me in multiple live tournaments over the years before that and just like seeing him go on this like massive massive tilt he still had like 100 big blinds left but he actually like got out of the table he called every single friend in his phone book and just like <laughs> held in french like 15 minutes at a time i don't really speak french i understand like a few sentences but like it was obvious that he was just like calling you know, his wife his mom his friends just like telling the same story and yelling it every single time like five on the river five on the river and <laughs> like i this probably doesn't pay, paint the rosiest picture of me but oh man did i enjoy that yeah for sure no, i think you're allowed to celebrate that one uh, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator. Oh, Here we go. We don't know what it's going to be. Okay, if you were offered the position of mayor of your city, would you take it? Hmm. Do you think you do a good job? <laughs> I don't think I would do a good job. <laughs> uh, I don't think I would take it actually. Like, I would like to be the mayor of a small city, maybe later in life you know where i could possibly like influence some stuff and do like grassroots level decisions but this is the capital of a country <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're it, probably in the wrong and it's not even your country so it's like <laughs> it's, well, it's yeah, like even harder true. they might yeah, even have laws against it <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean i might have to do it just you know it, it'd be pretty interesting for sure to see the reaction that hey here's this random finnish former poker player who's running the capital of estonia yeah mayor mika yeah how you fix the problems uh, i'll have a i'll have a rebuy tournament and uh <laughs> that'll raise funds <laughs> anyway uh mika thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing the stories and also for sharing last call everyone out there make sure you go check that out thanks for having me it's been a blast that's it. That is the show. Thank you once again to Mika. Make sure you go to YouTube right now and check out Last Call on the Poker Izivut channel. Season 1 is already out, and new episodes of Season 2 are dropping this week. Also, make sure you go follow Mika on Twitter at Chuck Bass Poker or on Instagram at I Blame Chuck Bass. 
You could follow us on Twitter at CardPlayerMedia or at Poker underscore Stories. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to subscribe. And if you really like what you heard, go the extra mile with a five-star rating and review. Then let us know you did so by sending us an email to PokerStories at CardPlayer.com and we'll hook you up with a free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. Thanks for listening. By now, you've heard about Global Poker, one of the fastest growing online card rooms available in the US and Canada today. So what's stopping you from trying it out? Global Poker is a safe and secure social poker site that uses their own patented sweepstakes model. Signing up is easy. You can use Google, Facebook, or just an email address. You can always play for free on Global Poker, but you can also buy gold coins for additional play, which will earn sweeps coins that can be redeemed for real cash to a bank account, Skrill account, or even as a gift card. Get a free 5,000 gold coins when you sign up right now at GlobalPoker.com.